I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Lo, 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 lo. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. You went out last night? I did. How was that? It was good. I went to Akbar, the, the usual haunt. Um, which, as, you know, as you know, I like Akbar. But depending on the... I, say, I feel like I say this about every gay bar I like going to. It depends on the night. Uh, the DJ was a little all over the place. Um, but that's, I mean, that's fun. It, it forces you off the dance floor then, I think. A constant turnover. Um, so yeah, that was about it. You were voted into the LA Film Critics Association. Association? Yes, LAFCA. LAFCA. Yes. Ha! That acronym doesn't work for me, but... I don't know if that's how they say it, but I haven't uh, attended my first meeting. What does this distinction mean for you? Uh, it means I get to vote on awards that, I guess, get some kind of uh, critical attention. Um, you know, as I'm part of other film groups, like the Online Film Critics Association and Gay Lecca, the Gay and Lesbian, which I think they have changed their name, but not their acronym. Um, but, you know... It, any, if you become a part of any official critics group, there's some sort of swag that comes with that, along with membership fees, usually. Swag, and, to me, means free shit. Yeah, which oh. I think... What kind of free shit? Well, screeners, usually. We don't need more movies in this house. Well, screeners, not actual movies. You're supposed to destroy screeners. You're not supposed to keep them. Okay. All right. But, you know, for end of the year, I find that time of year exciting, which is coming up when you get loads of things ahead of time in the mail uh-huh anything else about that uh i mean it's i've applied for that several times throughout the years and kind of gave up for a stretch of five or six years just because it it's a difficult organization to get into which you know i i if they just let any old person in then it's not special so oh well all right drag race UK season three episode four. Uh, that sounds right. Okay. Was it? A, I don't remember if it's three or four. I think it's four. <clears throat> I don't recall the challenge though. Oh, they had to perform a song called B B D E Big Drag Energy. That's right. And they were broken up into two groups. Mm-hmm. One had a more sort of high tempo version. Because last week's winner, it's all coming back to me now. Scarlet Harlot won, got to choose the song and the team, her team. Okay. Uh, and she picked the up tempo. Yeah. Uh, so they perform. Well, so there's an up tempo version and then a mid tempo version. Um, and they all have to write their own lyrics. This was all over the place because I thought. Theresa May was selected last to be on a team, mm-hmm. but then she ends up being on the winning team, and then she's delusional and thinking that she's a winner. But I thought for sure she was she was the worst of her team. She was, and I thought for sure she'd be in the bottom. But Ru, RuPaul just had the winning team all get Ru Peter badges. Ru was mad at the other team, I think. <laughs> well, it's, it's yeah, like... because the other team. Charity Case and Scarlet Harlot get placed in the bottom. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about uh, Charity Case last episode gave like a soliloquy on being HIV positive, right? Yeah, 
She did. But I mean, you know, to me, I, I, obviously that's uh, important in using that platform to talk about that. But to me, it's, I feel like it doesn't register with me because I'm like, well, yeah. Uh, well, she's not the first. No. But I, I think as time goes on, these like sort of revelations are an amalgamation of previous revelations because she talks about being HIV positive and sort of like, and then like off of like a sexual assault situation where she ended up becoming infected with other STIs in addition yeah. to that. Yeah. So to me, it was kind of like, um, what's, what's the one who said she was like sexually assaulted, who looks really young. Blair Sinclair. Yeah. To me, it was like, if you mixed like Trinity K. Bonet with Blair Sinclair's, uh, sure experiences and so i feel like as time goes on we're just going to get like more into people's business and people feeling the need to share these very personal things sure you know i, I it's to everyone's own discretion to share those things obviously but i think it's important for some people to hear those things i do as well it just seems kind of like <clears throat> people are forced almost to what what makes you interesting well what, i was sexually assaulted yeah what makes you interesting and you can't sort of do something someone else has already done so it's not good enough that you're hiv positive you got to tell us you had chlamydia syphilis gonorrhea all the things right, right, right. and then you have to tell us that you were sexually assaulted and then you give an education on how like being undetectable means you can't transmit the virus which and... i think is probably the more important statement in there for people to hear which people still don't understand for sure for sure because i mean do you remember you know we're both hiv negative and on prep and we've been on prep I mean, do you remember the experiences of trying to get a prescription for that back in 2013, 14? I remember it not being the most smooth or people making comments like the doctors, like they were confused. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's a different so it's a, subject. I mean, I think it's but... an important thing to talk about. It's just, I almost feel like these people are being exploited. Like good for charity case for telling her story and... Um, she seems like a remarkable person who's over, overcome some things. So it's not against her. It's just like, it seems manipulative. Like I, I thought that often about many queens on drag race and, you know, at, after many of them are finished with it, a lot of them feel the same, I think too. Anyway, the main challenge, uh, was them doing this song and then their runway had to be Spice Girls inspired. Mm -hmm. Because Emma Bunton, Baby Spice, was one of the judges. <clears throat> and Charity Case and Scarlet Harlot land in the bottom. Um, excuse me, Scarlet Harlot's performance was garbage. Yeah. She forgot her the lyrics she wrote for her own damn self. Mm -hmm. And then Charity Case was just an oddball. She didn't dress like everyone else. Although, her explanation, I thought, was valid. Mm -hmm. Like, they're told to bring certain outfits... And she didn't have an outfit to match. Now, the argument is that they're given fabric. And listening to Bob and Monet, they explained something I didn't realize. But on Drag Race, they have a supply of drag. Like corsets, shoes, wigs, anyone can use. The reason they don't like using them is because most drag queens need custom. Is this like the Rice Krispies and Nailed It? This is exactly like Rice Krispies and Nailed It. Yeah, if they can't manage to make what they're supposed to, then they just grab the stock stuff but um 
I didn't think Charity Case was that bad. I actually thought she was really good in her performance. I feel like Theresa May should have been in the bottom. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, Scarlet Harlot was garbage. Uh, they lip synced to a Spice Girl song, and I thought Charity Case did a much better job. But Rue says that they can both stay. I think again. I think he felt bad for the the one crying. I, I think you can tell. I don't know. I feel Scarlett like Harlow was crying because she knew she did a shitty job. You can see it all over her face while she's performing. So I don't know. I thought that was a little too generous. I think so. Bitch, too. you were terrible. You but, were the worst. <laughs> but they, they, Veronica Scone was eliminated. Due Victoria. Her, Victoria, sorry. To Veronica Green and Victoria Scone. Uh, oh, that's right. Victoria Green was dismissed because of her knee injury. Yes. So we kind of had an open space. Yes. So I, I guess them both staying is not detrimental to the cycle. No. So sure. I just didn't think Scarlett deserved to stay. I agree. But uh, I do find Charity Case fascinating. I think Charity Case is one that I would want to watch more of. Definitely, yeah. Okay, then we started uh, Canada's Drag Race premiered. Uh, <laughs> I don't even want to go over it because I feel like it's just as... I don't know. what What is it that so feels so... Ugh. I don't... I just don't like it. I don't like it either. But I think the biggest thing is... Um, Brooklyn. Brooklyn Heights. And her who new, has a new face. She does. She has new cheeks. She has Maleficent shellacked cheekbones. Yes. Uh, she looks great in drag. Out of drag, it's like, whoa. Uh, then the two judges were switched up. No more uh, Jeffrey Boyer Chapman, thank goodness. I'm okay with that. So we have Brad Goreski. Who's... Who I have liked for a long time. Who has a nice energy. He's, yeah... He's a stylist. I thought he looked kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny to me. But most stylists are either or. They either are really like simplistic and elegant and classic or like a Carson Kressley mm -hmm. when he's not wearing weird colored patterns or they're like Brad where they just dress like like if a nine-year-old had all the money he... <laughs> and they could choose their own gran... What do you call it? Granimals? Yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, and then the other judge is... Amanda um, Bruegel. Who I didn't realize I recognize from... She's in that movie Becky. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's the... She's the stepmom. Yep, mm -hmm. and then she's in uh, She's in a few things that surprised me. I um, mean, I think her claim to fame that they keep referencing is the Handmaid's Tale television series. Oh, she's in Jason 10 and um, A Diva's Christmas Carol with Vanessa Williams, which I remember watching a lot. Uh... She's beautiful. She's very poised, and she's beautiful. But she does seem like she's a Drag Race fan. Mm -hmm. Like, there's going to be a lot of work. Okay, yes, mama. Like, she's going to be that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Brooklyn gives me nothing. Absolutely I just, nothing. I think it's just, even her offhanded comments as, during the judges' deliberation, it's just like, you just seem... Ugh. And I don't need you judging me, is how I would feel. None of the contestants caught my attention. I, like... I don't know if Canada... I don't know. It's funny because I think most of their drag is, like, not at the level of U.S. drag race. But then Brooklyn is. Yes. And they she seems to be very aesthetic-driven. And now they have Brad Goreski, who is also aesthetic-driven. But these queens aren't. The only queen who I thought looked like where she needed to look was uh, Suki Doll for the entrance looks. Yeah. The rest of them I thought looked real basic. Um... The only person who stood out to me that I liked was Oceana Aqua Black. Who's like Latrice. 
who claims to be 35 years of age. Uh, I would like to see a receipt for that. The claims on many of their ages, I think. Is questionable. But I really liked her. and Because her drag is just like, fuck it. I, <laughs> I don't care how I look. I just want to be entertaining. Which, which she is. Which I really buy into. And then the, the loudest mouth one was one named Beth. Oh, poor Beth. Who thought she was doing something, and they sent her ass package. So, I don't even recall the challenge. Do you? They had to make their own couture, as usual. Oh, out of... Uh, out of some garbage. Out of some garbage. And then they lip-synced to Maneater. I do recall that. Oh, that was a very uncomfortable lip-sync, because who's the other one that stayed? Who's apparently notable there? Oh, uh, geometric. Geo- oh, the more tr- the one who thinks she's really attractive. Yeah, has a very interesting face in drag. Actually, yes, and she she was like, "Oh, I'm a performer. I'm gonna turn it out, girl. I don't know what you were doing on that stage I that day. I but- don't know, but you know, when when your little bird chest comes out, all I could think of was when the camera would pan out, it looked like carrot top flopping around on there because of her wig. It. It was an uncomfortable performance, I thought. It was. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we did a live stream last week. Oh, yeah. That was Sledgehammer Horror. <laughs> Where's the time? Uh, so that was fun. We uh, went. We ran down our top 10... PG-13... PG-13 horror, horror films, film. which was difficult because they asked us not to share our list with each other. So I had to come up with it on my own, which was very difficult. Also... The selection to choose from is not that it, bad. It is limited because, and I don't know, we didn't really get into depth about this in the live stream, but I found it a really interesting exercise because the PG-13 rating, and you all know how I feel about ratings, but it didn't come about until the reactions to Spielberg's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So then you have this kind of films that were in production maybe that had to kind of lurch around that, right? So I think you have a ton of really great films that are pg-13 from the mid to late 80s that weren't really that that really would have probably had a pg rating but weren't for kids still kind of had that 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 gremlins feel but now we have horror films that are meant for whole ass adults and teenagers to enjoy that are calibrated for this rating specifically yeah it's weird um yes because a lot of the more popular horror films that have been released in the past 10 years are PG-13. And there's a lot of garbage. And there's there's a lot of garbage because they're sort of trying to be more universal. But anyway, somehow I managed to come up with a list of 10. Somehow. Mm-hmm. But that was cute. Um, but when we did have some crossover. There was some crossover. Not I think lot. for the entire... There were four of us. Uh, we, I think we all agree. Insidious. Yeah. Uh, Drag Me to Hell. I think those are the only two. You and I didn't share any except Insidious. Gretel and Hansel. Oh, Gretel and Hansel. I think that's it. There might have been. I had three shark movies on there. You sure did. Which are terrifying to me. But the reason I brought it up is uh, the host of the live stream mentioned the new Child's Play TV show on USA slash sci-fi. So we watched the first episode. Which was enjoyable. Yeah, what did you think? I would... I like that the main kid is gay, and there because there's a lot of kind of subtext you can dig well, into. Well, first that. of all, I didn't realize the creator of Child's Play is gay. Oh, I did know that. I yeah. didn't know that, and I didn't know that that person. What is his name? Dan Mancini has done all of them. Yes. So actually, that makes me kind of want to rewatch them. 
And I don't think I've watched the one with Jennifer Tilly. I've never seen Bride of Chucky. Yes. So I, I would it. like to rewatch them. Um, the first one is, I feel like, because somebody like Shout Factory, Scream Factory put out Child's Play on Blu-ray a couple years ago, which we have. I thought we watched it again for that. Um, with the, we watched the remake with Aubrey Plaza. Which I did enjoy. It is not terrible. But yes, I also agree. I like that the main kid is gay. I like Devin Sawa. The Devin Sawa's fun as twin brothers. Who dies right... Like, the terrible one dies right away. Spoiler. The, yeah, the main kid's dad, who's not a, the greatest guy. I don't know that I think he's terrible. I think he's like a working class, salt of the earth guy who has to raise this boy by himself. And he doesn't seem like he's homophobic. He just doesn't understand, like, he says his son is too young to know if he's gay. And then he gets mad because his brother and sister-in-law and nephew are teasing the boy about being gay. Mm -hmm. And he reacts to that like he's embarrassed. So I didn't think he was unreasonable. He's no good Joe Bell. No, he's not. But <laughs> but I feel like I didn't, I, I didn't think that he was like this homophobic monster and then he ends up dying. So it's like, yeah. Jesus. But anyway, um, overall I liked it. Um, it just feels long. I would watch the other ones. So now I need to like download, I guess, USA sci-fi app. And you have Brad Dourif, the original Chucky voice back. And, uh, there's a, probably the biggest thing I didn't like is the music. This is one of those shows that maybe is targeted towards teenagers, maybe, mm. I would assume. And there's just, every scene has music. Yeah, you would, it doesn't breathe, I think. Yeah, and I, I Which don't also like made that. it feel longer for me, like, oh, an episode's an hour? How many episodes? I think I'm just tired of television formats. I don't mind miniseries, but, you know, I, I did enjoy this one, and I would watch the others if they're available to me. Okay, we have a very long list of all kinds of movies, so let's start with theatrical releases we did not make videos for. Which you didn't watch. Um, and I didn't watch any of these. Uh, Luzu, L Lutsu, uh, which I believe is Italy's submission for Best Foreign Language, well, Best International Feature now, uh, which played at Sundance, and I watched, and I did quite like. Uh, it's set in Malta, uh, basically about a, a fisherman that's trying in vain to keep his boat afloat uh, and ultimately decides for the sake like of his... His, Like his business or his boat his, is his, his business. Oh. And there's some metaphors going on with his newborn child isn't growing as in it's the kid's eating but not absorbing the nutrients. Like all kinds of things about leaky boats. Uh, and ultimately, you know, has to sacrifice the tradition that he grew up doing because there's just not... There's just too many fishermen and not enough resources to go around, etc. Uh, so that actually that I thought was a well done there it's kept it keeps being referred to as neo-realist and I don't think I'd say that it is, but I did really like it great central performance. I think you wouldn't have hated it if you'd seen it. Well, we got a lot of emails about it from so, publicists. Yeah, so I um Oh yeah, Kino Lorber is distributing and they they're usually pretty good at trying to get coverage on their stuff, but I, I was supposed to write about it. I haven't yet. <laughs> Next, The Last Duel. You oh. talked about this in like the Venice video. Okay, I think we don't, you talked we, about it again in another podcast. We don't have to talk about People it. People keep asking us to review it. Um, but it just came out this weekend. Yeah, it came out on the 15th. So yeah, we're not going to make a video. Um, I think it, it's it's not a great film, but it's a good film, especially for Ridley Scott's 
recent output. Okay, I will say that it probably is a good film because I don't usually remember plots, or I don't usually remember anything about movies you tell me that I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I remember the plot to this movie because you, you explained it to me. Mm-hmm. So that tells me that it probably would be an interesting movie for me because I, I, like, I know the story. But that's also why... I don't want to watch it because I already know the story. Sure. But the, usually I don't remember it, so I'm open. But but I like Adam Driver. Matt Damon's hair is worth laughing at. Yeah. Next, Freeland. Oh, Freeland. Uh, I think you would have enjoyed that. Kind of a, a very low-key indie drama starring uh, Krisha Fairchild, who was is the aunt and star of Krisha, uh, Trey Edward Schultz breakout indie film from... God, was that 2015 now? Uh, she's this... Uh, marijuana harv grower <laughs> that's basically put out of business due to uh, ch- the changing uh, bureaucratic nature of that industry because she's been operating for 30 years on this marijuana farm without a permit and at this point the state makes it impossible for her to get one so she's kind of run out of town and it's really good central performance people that look real uh, it also co-stars Li- Lily Gladstone uh, her part's small but it's Nice to see her, because I've only seen her in Certain Women, I think, which is my favorite Kelly Reichard film from 2016, uh, which is part of the Criterion, and I, I I will have to get you to watch that sometime. I, Certain Women is amazing. Laura Dern, uh, Kristen Stewart, and I think Lily Gladstone is actually the standout of that film. Uh, but yeah. Next is Bergman Island. Bergman Island. I would have loved for you to see that, too. You've seen Mia Hansen loves Things to Come with Isabelle Huppert. In San Francisco. Yeah. At a really cute little theater. Yeah. Uh, This is uh, Mia Hansen loves, I'd say, her return to form. Uh, I saw it at Cannes, so I think I see this. Oh, I have heard you talk about this before. Yeah, it's it's good. It's film within a film. uh, Doing a lot. Love Mia Wasikowska and Vicky Creeps. Uh, Highly recommended. All right, moving on to films you watched for fun. I don't think I've watched any of these with you. The Getaway? You watched part of that. What was The Getaway about? Well, because the week before I watched Peckinpah's The Getaway because I read Jim Thompson's novel. So I watched Roger Donaldson's version with Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. Oh, yeah. It didn't. And you know, I like Alec Baldwin, but that did not catch my attention. I thought the acting and the dialogue were kind of crunchy. I agree. And I kept trying to... And and Jennifer Tilly's in the Sally Struthers role, and I was really looking forward to that. She's very underutilized, even though that, that is actually really good casting. And, uh... Michael Madsen and his hair. That is terrible hair on Michael Madsen in The Getaway. I don't even remember. Oh, yes. He has like a mullet and it's like gingery. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and he looks like he's uncomfortable in it. Um, well, because he keeps playing with it. <laughs> um, but that was, I, I, you know, I might have to blame the screenwriter. Well, the director too, Roger Donaldson, who, who has directed some good movies, but he went on to do Species after this, which has not aged well. In my mind. Um, Amy Holden Jones, who's probably best known for writing Beethoven, the dog movie. Um, this was the last movie. Wait, no. she So she wrote this adaptation of The Getaway. But I, when I think of her name, I think of the last movie she directed, which was The Rich Man's Wife, starring Halle Berry. And that is one movie that Halle Berry recently said came out that said she was embarrassed about. Oh. <laughs> and if Halle Berry is saying that she thinks a movie she did is no good, Next is The Hot Spot. 
Which reminds me of Foxy Brown, because she has a song called Hotspot. But anyway. Hotspot. So I read uh, Charles Williams' novel this week. It's a noir from the 50s. And Dennis Hopper adapted it in 1990, starring um, Don Johnson, who was coming right as Miami Vice was ending, and uh, Virginia Madsen, sister of Michael, and Jennifer Connelly. The, if you like noir, I highly recommend picking up a copy of Charles, uh, Charles Williams' novel. Uh, but the Dennis Hopper film is good, and it has that essence. It just, for two hours and ten minutes, it needed to feel a lot tighter. Great central character. I think Don Johnson is actually well cast. Virginia Madsen is probably my favorite in it. Uh, it's, you know, it's just about an amoral drifter. And this was, a, somebody tried shopping this around the 70s to star Robert Mitchum, which would have been perfect. Although, I think by the 70s, Mitchum might have felt a little too old for this character. But, you know, Mitchum was in great noir revamps in the 70s, like The Big Sleep and Farewell, My Lovely are both great noir remakes, if you like those. But highly enjoyed it. Uh, it's not available on Amazon Prime, so if you don't want to buy the Blu-ray, I had to watch it on something for free called Pluto TV, which, despite some very annoying ads, was fine. Frankenstein Island. You watched most of this with me. What is it about? It was a Rift Tracks movie. Oh, I don't even remember that. Oh, we watched it uh, as a, a double feature of another terrible movie. But Frankenstein Island from the early 80s, a riff, we watched the Rift Tracks treatment directed by Jerry Warren. Uh, but the Cameron Mitchell is in it, who was clearly slumming it, uh, who's probably known best known for playing Uncle Buck Cannon in uh, the TV series High Chaparral in the 50s. Uh, but I probably, I don't know if I'll forget an actress I saw in this named Catherine Victor, who had mismatched extensions playing Sheila Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Um, that was worth a watch with the commentary track. Children of the Night. Do you remember? You watched this. I don't what, what is it about? The vampires taking over the That small was last town. week? Yeah. Oh. With Karen, we watched it because Karen Black's in it. Which oh, watched. she's a vampire. Yes. That shit was... It's not good. Yeah. And Peter DeLuise. Uh, it was directed by Troy Randall, who, prior to Children of the Night, which is 1991, directed Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. And after that, after Children of the Night, did a film, I think a lot of horror film fans around my age might remember the VHS cover to Ticks. Okay. <laughs> which I remember renting with my dad. Uh, but Children of the Night is not good, but it does have a very interesting vampire transformation. And and I think that Randall, uh, who did visual effects on some films like Escape from New York, I think obviously was talented at that. But the basically at night, these vampires, or at day, these vampires have to like puke their innards out, which also canvases them in like this amniotic sack which I thought looked really good when Karen Black like pukes up her gown and her lungs and no but that's about it it's really not worth sitting through cast a deadly spell I've always wanted to see this um it's a tv film made in 1991 Joseph Doherty wrote it there's a follow-up Paul Schrader directed by the same author called Witch Hunt with Dennis Hopper which I've never seen uh, but this stars a very lovely young Julianne Moore uh, and Fred Ward. And uh, 
somebody else I like I'm not thinking but Martin Campbell of all people directed this movie but it's it's basically a Raymond Chandler ripoff but in a 1940s where everyone uses magic because you you were in the room while I watched part of this because you're like what the hell is this movie yeah oh yeah because they're like little gremlins or something yeah there's a lot of weird elements that I don't know that it works but it's fun and then there's uh, I forget the actor's name from Oz who's in drag and it's very you know borderline homophobic in some the treatment of some of its characters uh but entertaining and it's nice to see julianne moore and for a television film in the 90s has some pretty good special effects especially because it's also a nod to lovecraft hp lovecraft and this cthulhu like monster appears at the end that looks like a big gaping anus but uh that was interesting looking all right, projects of interest. You have seven of them. I'll go quick. Um, First is Seance on a Wet Afternoon. That I'll spend the most time on. Um, so if you haven't seen Seance... <laughs> that reminds me, what's the movie where I said, I don't think it's that violent? Oh, Santa Song. Oh, yeah. Someone commented because I'm like, I just don't understand why people thought it was explicit. And then I immediately described the plot. And I'm like, it's about a boy who witnesses his dad kill himself. After his mother mutilated his um, genitals with sulfuric acid. <laughs> anyway, seance on a wet afternoon. Um, if you haven't seen the original, which is a 1964 film directed by Brian Forbes, please do so. It stars Kim Stanley and Richard Attenborough. And Attenborough is going to come up again later in this conversation. Great. Uh, but she plays a woman that thinks she's psychic or wants to be a psychic and has her husband kidnap a child so that she can then use her psychic powers to find said child. <laughs> it is great. Kim Stanley, who's in The Goddess, and she's in a really good Cat on a Hot Tin Roof remake. Uh, she plays Jessica Lange's terrible, terrible mother in Francis. Uh, yeah. Love the original. So I was very excited to see that Rachel Weisz is going to star in a remake that's directed by Thomas Alfredson, the director of Let the Right One In. Okay. So I think that, that to me is very, very exciting. Oh, and the original is directed by Brian Forbes, also a favorite of mine. Uh, and you're familiar with his The Stepford Wives, of course. So yes, very excited for that. Flux Gourmet. Oh, and I'm very excited for Flux Gourmet, a new um, Peter Strickland film. Uh, Peter, I don't... I still need to get you to watch The Duke of Burgundy, which I think was my, might have been my favorite film that year or in the top three, uh, about the, the Lapidopterists, lesbians. Uh, Barbarian Sound Studio, Catalan Varga, I got to interview him for In Fabric. He's doing another film um, about a research facility devoted to culinary and elementary performance with Gwendolyn Christie and Asa Butterfield, and I am very excited for it. Flux Gourmet. Love Gets a Room. Rodrigo Cortez, who I know you liked his film Buried with Ryan Reynolds. Okay. And he did Red Lights with Sigourney Weaver, which I think is a decent film, and uh, did a terrible Lois Sakar adaptation in 2018 with Uma Thurman doing this accent that I don't know what the fuck that accent is. Down a Dark Hall. Hard, difficult film to sit through. Uh, he's doing what sounds like a Life is Beautiful type film about the these singers in the Warsaw Ghetto. And, you know, once I kind of am familiar with somebody's work, I'll probably take a look, but I don't... Yeah, we'll see what he does. He's switching it up in a major way. Le Lichi. That, 
I think it's Le, 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 Le Cien, uh, which translates to a very boring sounding thing. The high school student, uh, directed by Christophe, oh. Christophe Honoré, who is a favorite of mine. We have a large Honoré poster in the house, Ma Mère. Uh, it sounds, it's dealing, I think, with high school students. Uh, maybe it'll be in the vein of his beautiful person from 2008. Anatomy d'une chante. Uh, <laughs> uh, Justine Treat's new film, Anatomy of a Fall, about a woman investigated for the death of her husband. Sounds good. Uh, Justine, Justine Triet uh, has heretofore worked with Virginia Fira in... Uh, in in bed with Victoria and Sybil, both films. Which, if you're an Afira fan, I think in 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 bed with Victoria was kind of a breakout for Afira. And meme temps, uh, which translates to at the same time by Gustave de Curvern and Benoit Delapine. They are a pair of Belgian filmmakers whose films always have this weird vibe that I have to be in the mood for. But when I am, I highly enjoy them. And Les Innocents. Oh, L'Innocent. Uh, Louis Garel, who's the son of Philippe Garel, who's also in that said Honoré film, Ma Mère. He's also directing, I think, his third or fourth film, uh, just as he's about to star in a film that's dad's directing that we talked about last week, I think. And, uh, yeah, so that's, to me, that's interesting. And the obituary section. Did anybody die? Well, pr praise Jesus, no one's dead, I guess. Well, but, I'm sure that there were, just nobody that we saw headlines about. All right, moving on to the mystery movie of the week. <clears throat> you showed me a film called Magic, a 1978, mm -hmm. which was the year I was born, mm -hmm. film directed by... Richard Attenborough. Who, has... who we know from doing the voices to those documentaries. No, that's the David Attenborough oh. or something. Richard Attenborough, you are familiar with... Probably most, as most people are, is the creator of Jurassic Park. Oh! That old man. But he, oh my God, he, you know, as a young man, you've seen, I, I know in Minnesota I brought you to uh, Brighton Rock, which he's kind of terrifying in, uh, as a young man. That's where that, that noir with the record skipping, I don't know if you remember that. And uh, he's directed, I think, 12 features. And as I just referenced, he stars in Seance on a Wet Afternoon. But you're familiar with his film, uh, A Chorus Line. Okay. And Magic and A Chorus Line are his, the only films he's directed in our period. But strangely, Magic arrives between A Bridge Too Far and Gandhi. Well, we have 25 minutes, and I don't know that I need 25 minutes to talk about this movie. <laughs> so I am familiar with it. I remember seeing the poster art like on VHS cassettes when I was a kid at the video store never watched it I don't know what I thought it was about it's really sort of like a it's classified as a like a psychological horror film which I think that's apt it's it feels like more of a character study the last time I watched this was I think in 2006 with my friend Teddy and we had an Anne Margaret double feature and we watched this with Kitten with a Whip which is Bob the Drag Queen's original drag name Oh, yeah. Did you know that? I did know that. Early Anne Margaret feature that's still not on Blu-ray. Um, but I, I think as a fast... Yeah, there are many reasons that I liked this as a kid. But my dad really liked this film. And one of the lines... I forgot that he would say this all the time. He, he would say, Kill the postman! Kill the postman! Which is a line of fats. 
So, um, I thought this movie was fine. I would give it three out of five. I think there's a lot about it that's well done. Mainly, I think Anthony Hopkins' acting is strong. Mm -hmm. I don't know that... Well, I'll get into it. I think the writing for Fats, which is the ventriloquist dummy, which I'll explain in a second, I thought the writing of that dialogue was strong. Mm -hmm. That's about it. I like the look of the film, but I like late 70s, early 80s, regardless. Okay. The basic story is there is this guy named Corky, played by Anthony Hopkins. He, we're introduced to him talking to, I guess it's like his mentor, this yeah. guy named Merlin. He's like on his deathbed. Who's on his deathbed, and he's describing to him, like, oh, he went to like an open mic, like talent show type thing, and he did his card tricks and he killed. But so he's telling Merlin like he killed, but as the audience, we can see what actually happened and he bombed. And finally Merlin is like, don't lie to me. Like, tell me what really happened. Oh, you bombed. Okay, well, you need like a gimmick. And we see right away in the opening that Corky probably has some emotional issues. He seems, yeah, he seems like he has emotional issues. Cut to... We are sitting in another, like, entertainment venue, an old boy from Rocky. Burgess Meredith. Who's, like, this big-time agent is sitting there with some, like, TV executive, and they're about to watch Corky perform again. And Corky starts his set rough, like we saw him do five minutes prior. But someone starts heckling him, and we realize that it's this ventriloquist dummy. And Corky brings the dummy up on stage, and he kills which kind of reminds me of the scene from the Child's Play TV show where, that, the, where the gay boy brings up Chucky and Chucky just talks shit to the entire audience. Mm -hmm. That's oh, what inspired me because that's like, oh, it reminds me of magic and you said you hadn't seen it. So that's why. Oh, okay. So uh, Rocky Man tells Corky, I got you like a big contract. You're going to get a TV show. Corky's already successful. Mm -hmm. So he's a successful... He's like, been on Johnny Carson. Yeah, he's making money. He's doing well. But now he's about to take it to the next level, like A-list with this new top TV show. But Corky freaks out when Rocky Man says, oh, you have to do a medical examination. No! And he runs off like when you try to like... Like Nick puts plastic nails on our cat and she's used to it. So And she knows where the container is it's in our like laundry area so when he goes and grabs it it makes like a certain sound and she runs because <laughs> she knows he's gonna put nails on her that's how quirky is so he <laughs> he he absconds to the cat skills he absconds to the cat skills and decides to hide out in the cabin in a cabin that belongs to an old friend named peggy peggy ann snow who's played by ann margaret mm-hmm and to wrap it up, while he's there, he kind of falls in love with Peggy. She falls in love with him. Rocky Man ends up finding out where he is and confronts him and witnesses him being crazy. Because, mm -hmm. like, he's talking to this dummy like like it's a real person. And he says, and he threatens to call, like, doctors to evaluate him. And he's, of note, he's an agent that has earned the nickname of the Postman because of how successful he is in getting his clients work. And Corky ends up, via Fats the Dummy, he ends up killing not only Rocky Man, 
But Peggy is married. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a passionless... Passionless? Mm-hmm. That's a word. Passionless marriage. And he ends up killing that man too. What's his name? Duke? Duke, yeah. So... Played by Ed Lauter. The film ends with... Well, the dummy tells Peggy, like, oh, that little card trick Corky played on you that, like, had you all hot in the draws and made you sleep with him, he does that with every bitch he sees, Mm -hmm. so don't you feel stupid. So Peggy's mad, and she's like, I never want to see you again. But then she has a change of heart. With a wooden heart. But... Because Corky's upset, he realizes the only way he's going to get rid of Fats, the dummy, is if he kills himself. Mm -hmm. So Corky stabs himself in the stomach. And the film ends with the two of them sort of talking to each other, like, who's going to die first? (laughs) It's kind of ambiguous. And then we see stupid-ass Peggy, like, skipping back to his cabin. Like, I've changed my mind. Let's be together. he carved her wooden heart to lure her out to kill her. Right. And... She starts talking like the dummy, mm-hmm. the end. And Taz, the, and the, the final shot is the wooden heart up in the air. So, um, I can just go through my notes. Sure. I think it's very obvious, like, what the story is right away. Sure. Which I didn't find super satisfying. I also didn't understand, like, what is the purpose of Merlin? Like, why do we even have that scene with Corky talking to his mentor on his deathbed, I felt like it had no significance. Well, just that he'd learned this craft somewhere, and I think the problem is there's no real backstory about where he came from. Right. What I really wanted... Here, really quickly, since we... Well, we do have time, I guess. I wanted to say what I would have rather seen, and I also wrote down, which I think you commented on as well yesterday when we watched it, is this film needs to be remade. I think a good remake, even though I do love Anne-Margaret. Anyway, keep going. Because what I would have preferred is we open with a young man, like, at, like, an open mic sort of situation, bombing painfully. Well, the the, the bombing reminded me of Joker. He, yeah. He reminds me of... Uh, yeah. With Walker I wanted to be dark like the like Joker, maybe, but I just feel like it's not that dark, and then I know you like Anne-Margaret. I don't... I don't... You think she's so beautiful. I think she looks like... I think she's striking. She has presence. I don't think so. I think she looks like any old lady... <laughs> she to me she was like any old white you, lady you show you look at her in this and if we did a double feature with grumpy old men like she looked the same for years sure but I I don't know to me she's not that spectacular and I thought her acting in this was a little over the top oh I didn't so I felt kinda, bad for her did you see I didn't feel bad for her because the way she's played she seems sort of assertive sure and she's not afraid of her husband necessarily so then I'm like, oh, she's just in this, like, passionless marriage, because, like, why not? But I didn't think she was, like, this poor trapped woman who fell in love with the first man who came by. It just seemed like she was so thirsty to have passion in her life. Mm-hmm. I it, it didn't work for me. I would have preferred to go really dark with it. That's what I assumed I was going to get, is, like, Corky is, like, severely mentally unstable, and sort of the conversations he's having with this dummy. And I really wanted to lean into like the dummy like being mean to people. And it just wasn't dark enough for me. I hated that Burgess Meredith called him kid. Like this man is 41. Right. <laughs> and then like Anthony Hopkins obviously is like a very talented actor. But I just don't think maybe. I don't think he was right for this. Because he seems, he seems so 
flat from the moment we meet him talking to Merlin to the very end. Like, there's no <laughs> difference. Like, like there's no... He, he doesn't really devolve. Like, his psyche doesn't... There, there's not a moment where there, I thought, oh, this man cracked. Well, there's also not a moment where... I And I do like the Hopkins performance, but there's not a moment where I feel like, oh, he's got... He tapped into his charisma through the dummy. He's the same. Where So, Attenborough... Uh, wanted a comedian to star in this film and so uh, Gene Wilder is, is who he was originally seeking and I think that I, I think that if there had been an actual comedian and I usually usually I, I don't really kind of tap into these kind of things but I, I think that because Gene Wilder also said that he would have liked to have played Corky and Fats and I, I think that it would have been interesting because if if you remember um Gene Wilder played uh, uh, Willy Wonka, uh, I think before this. So I I don't know. I just think that I think that would have worked. And of course, this isn't the first time that. And it was written by William Goldman, who was you know is considered one of the best screenwriters ever to have lived. All the President's Man, Marathon Man, Princess Bride, and it 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 also isn't the only time we've had kind of a ventriloquist dummy taking control of somebody. There's an old Mystery Science Theater 3000 film I remember watching, Devil Doll. Um, and there's a, a great British horror, horror noir, I'd call it, called Dead of Night, which this is highly reminiscent of. And But of course, I think maybe Mancini, I think James Wan is obviously a fan of magic with his, do- like, you know, if you remember Dead Silence. Um, R.L. Stein's one of his Goosebumps books that I remember reading as a kid around the same time I watched this about Slappy. Like, you know, the, it, it's influential. Sure. Um, I'm just going to continue with my notes. So the scene where uh, Corky seduces Peggy is there ha- the, he's trying to, like, try out a card trick on her and he's getting frustrated and, she, like, being very aggressive with her. And the trick is, like, they have two decks of cards, and she's holding one, and she pulls a card, and he's supposed to guess it off of his deck. And he does, and it's the three of clubs. And I just thought it was funny. Like, she really has, like, she and her husband had sex with this man off of the three of clubs. (laughs) But, you know, prior to that, he told her about his mentor's trick, because he took the place of his mentor's dead wife. And that was something they would do together, this telepathy and towards the end on her deathbed, he, like they were charlatans, basically he says, but at the Merlin swore that he was able to read his wife's mind. So either that was true or this was a really manipulative ruse that goes much deeper. Sure. Uh, 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 Rocky Man, what's his name? Burgess Meredith. Bur- he has a lot of money. He drives a Rolls Royce. He eats at fancy restaurants. He smokes these cigars that... They're fucking huge. They look like a fucking headache. And they come in like a glass container. And whenever he takes one out, he just throws the glass wherever. And it shatters. So he does that in his own damn office. Mm -hmm. And then when he's sitting... uh, Well, this is my next note. I thought the best scene in the film is when... Because obviously Corky is trying to hide from... uh, Rocky man. So when he shows up and confronts him, he's like, okay, you want to prove to me you're not crazy? You need to put that doll down. He goes, I'll drop it all. You don't have to get a medical exam. If if, if, if you can spend five minutes 
not talking to that damn doll. No, if, if Fats can stay quiet. Or if Fats, like, the doll can stay quiet, which, because we're presuming <laughs> and that... And I think you would, had just come back from peeing, but there's a scene, when he first says that, Fats' eyes look sideways. <laughs> at the... Yeah, yeah. So, I thought that was the best scene in the film, but when it starts, uh, Rocky Man pulls out a cigar, and he just throws that glass case... Let me, if you came to my house and shattered... <laughs> Like, you just threw a glass. Oh, yeah, I'd be... But anyway, that scene was so good because Corky is high anxiety. And he's like, how much time has passed? 30 seconds. 30 seconds, girl. And then he's like, well, how much time now? 45 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like real time. And he's... there's There comes to a point, though, where he's just like, still for a second, he's like, I can't do it. And, like, then, yeah. oh my God. and then he's like, I can't do it. It's only like a minute 30 yeah. in. So I thought that was the best scene. Well, I I think Fats the dummy is creepy as hell. He looks like someone. Well, he was designed to look like Hopkins, but I think he looks like Terrence Stamp. Are there? I mean, I can name a few people who are probably shouldn't. Like Terrence Stamp as like. Bernice in Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Yeah, this doll looks creepy. Uh, okay, so then after uh, Rocky Man leaves, of course. Uh, Fast is telling Corky, you got to kill him. Mm -hmm. So the scene where <laughs> he bludgeons uh, that man to death with the doll, I thought that was funny. So again, to me, it's a little campy. It is. Yeah, of course. You're talking about a, a split personality ventriloquist dummy. It's just not, but it's just not dark enough. But anyway, moving on. It's very, I, I forget how contained it is. I thought Peggy's husband, Duke, looked like a Quaid brother. He does look like a like the crazy Quaid, Randy. Yeah, uh, you've seen. He's been in a ton of stuff. Um, so Duke, uh, not Duke, uh, Rocky Man gets bludgeoned by the doll, and then whose whose name is Ben Green. Green, because because he has a joke. He calls him Gangrene. He calls him Gangrene. That's right. So Gangrene is like laid out in the woods after being hit in the head and Corky realizes like, oh, I need to do something with the body. So he gets naked and like carries Gangrene to the lake because they're near a lake and like his, he's attempting to like drown him in the water. But the next morning when he, Corky and Duke, Duke invites Corky out on a boat to basically confront him because he believes that he's sleeping with his wife. But really, he's saying, like, my wife wants to be with you, and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? When they see Gangrene's body has floated up on shore. <laughs> so Duke is like, we got to help him. And then it's like, this man has been laid out all night, all morning. And then Duke is like, I think I can, like, I think he's still breathing. I'm going to do CPR. Like, that man is not alive. That CPR scene was so crunchy. He said the kiss of life. I'm going to give him the kiss um, That's all I have. I mean, I thought it was funny how Peggy... She just seems so quick to want to have a new man. Like, yeah. Well, they have it. They they had. Uh, they they were high school uh, peers. They're they're familiar. Yeah. And he lusted after her all those years, and she knew it. But I don't. You know, what did she say? Did she had she said something in my notes about how you was he was always a, a weirdly. She's like you are always weirdly timid. <laughs> I wanted this movie to be so much more. I would invite a remake just because I think it. It, to me, is more laughable because between uh, Rocky Man's character... I thought Burgess was quite good in this. Uh, I, I thought he was a little over the top. I think Anne Margaret's character is over the top. Yeah, but that's part of the fun. I don't know. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying it's not fun. I just think that 
I I wanted this film to be very dark. Sure. Because that doll is so creepy and the writing for the doll is so good. I really think that someone could do something with this where it's like, the, like this doll is really influencing this person to have really dark thoughts and to do really weird things. And then like, he, like the relationship Corky has with Peggy, it seems almost benign, except for the fact that Corky's crazy. Well, he sees her as salvation, I think. What I would love to see in a remake is maybe there's sort of like some codependent shit and maybe like the woman, if this male character is straight, like maybe she knows, but she's sort of like, she's using it to her advantage and maybe she sort of devolves. It just needs to be... So, so my first introduction to magic was Anthony Hopkins was on the Rosie O'Donnell show. I don't remember for what film, but she went on and on about how much uh, this line from this movie Magic scared her, and so of course, and I was—I think I was watching with my mom, and, she, and I was very intrigued. She's like, "Oh, we can go rent Magic," and this line, in this way that they said it, I wanted to come up in the movie, and it's—it's it's on the poster. What is the line? And I think it might be in the trailer, but it's in 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 you know because Hopkins does Fats voice too, but in that Hopkins voice, it's abracadabra. I sit on his knee, presto, changeo, and now he is me. Hocus pocus, we take her to bed. Magic is fun. We're dead. <laughs> and that is, the, I think that's the creepy factor I wanted to get that really isn't in there. It's not. I mean, yeah, I, this should have been much more sadistic. For, and, 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 and even the sexual stuff, like, I feel like, I just want it to be, like, really dark and weird. Well, because it, it's not. The tagline is a terrifying love story. But it's really a love story between a man and himself. <laughs> Yeah, I don't feel the love between Corky and Peggy. It just seems like Corky probably ha doesn't have a lot of relations with women. Mm -hmm. And Peggy is not, you know, really into her husband. So it just seems sort of convenient. It's it's almost noirish, though. Like, any old man that comes... Like, Postman always rings twice. Like, right. get me out of here. Right. So that wasn't very uh, satisfying to me. Uh, but, yeah, I can see how many people were influenced by it. I, also, for someone, you know, like when you know about a film for so long and then you finally see it mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, yeah, that's sure. That's what it was. OK, but <laughs> Hopkins got a BAFTA nod for it. You know, this is right before he did Elephant Man and he's good. His acting is good. I just don't think I, I don't think necessarily it's his fault. I think it's the writing, like making this character seem so fragile from the beginning. And then it's just one note. He, he's just this fragile person. Yeah, it, it, I wanted to see what broke him, because once, which we do in the beginning at the 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 the, the show where that, he's but sort there's, of but there's something before that, you know, right? To, that, that happened to this person, and I don't think, yeah, like, and we spend most of this running time because it's an hour forty is spent amongst three people at any given time in the Catskills. Right. So it's it's not dead space, but it's a very languid psychological character study yeah i mean i could have stood for more time with them alone talking like corky and fats talking to each other sure that i mean that'd be a great way to give exposition and background is sure. them talking that would have been interesting because again i thought the writing for fats was really good well yeah because fats has only come into his life recently but how he taps into all the trauma that he's using to for for Fat's assistance with. Yeah. 
Well, do you have anything else? Um, well, because I'm reading uh, Raymond Chandler's The High Window right now, and so I, th- I found a Chandler quote that I thought kind of fit with the secret film. Well, do you have anything else uh, you uh, want to talk about for next week? Was there anything happening? Uh, not off the top of my head that I know about. Your family's visiting. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That's happening. Uh, oh, we're going to see Antlers on Monday. That's... Tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow. At what time? At like six. Oh, I need to look at my calendar. Uh, okay. I think that's something you're interested in. Sure. Okay. And then there's the the Harder They Fall, I think I'm seeing this week. Uh, I probably have another dentist appointment this week. Yeah, get Okay, go ahead and give your quote. Uh, There is no trap so deadly as the trap you set for yourself. Noted. (laughs) All right, bye. Bye.